We have been through it this last year, haven't we? I know many of us associate everything we've been through during this last year with the year 2020, and there will be some sense of being glad to get to 2021, even if some of these COVID conditions continue to linger for a little bit. I hope we are seeing a little bit of light on the horizon regarding this thing, all right, whether that's vaccines or we're just getting tired of it <laughs> and going to go back to life anyway to some degree. Perhaps you've heard the phrase disaster fatigue being thrown around. I'm glad somebody gave a name to it. I would just call it discouragement, but if we want to call it disaster fatigue, that's okay with me. That is not exclusive, of course, to, to the church. I think everybody in life is experiencing a certain level of discouragement in the middle of these things, whether that's because the conditions and the, the regulations that have, have come from our governing authorities are ruining economy, businesses, whether it's the isolation for people who maybe are living on their own, especially those who are elderly, whatever the disaster fatigue may be for each of you. I know that it has been a battle of discouragement for me. And as we end our study of James, I want to actually interrupt that study this morning and next week. Next week I'll be talking about something having to do with Christmas. But this morning I also want to interrupt it and take you to a passage of Scripture that has been a tremendous comfort to me in these days of discouragement. And that is the 23rd Psalm. The 23rd Psalm. Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known and well-loved passages in all of the Bible, not only well-loved by Christians, but well-known and well-loved by unbelievers. Even people who might reject the Lord, might openly reject the Scriptures, find something comforting and meaningful in Psalm 23. I have attended funerals for people who did not know the Lord, did not claim to be Christians, did not attend church. But at that funeral, Psalm 23 was read, even if it was just because it was tradition. Of course, we often associate Psalm 23 with grief, with death, as I mentioned, even funerals. I think it is because of the phrase in verse 4, the valley of the shadow of death. But Psalm 23 is for the living. And it is actually not a psalm of grief. It is a psalm of confidence. It is not a psalm of lament. It is a psalm of trust. A psalm of confidence in God's goodness. Psalm 23 is a declaration of wonder and relief and happiness because, as one author puts it, life in the presence of God is good and worth living. So if you would, read with me Psalm 23. 
The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And now, good and mighty shepherd, I ask that you would comfort each and every sheep with your presence with your goodness, for the sake of your glory, which is our joy. Amen. First of all, I want you to notice the various ways we experience the Lord's goodness. As shepherd, he provides for us. The Lord provides for us. These images are images of abundance, Green pastures, still waters. There is this preparing of a table, a banquet table. There is the cup overflowing. These are images of abundant provision. The Lord provides for us. The Lord guides us. Repeatedly, David says here, He leads me. He leads me. The image of the staff is an image of guidance for the sheep. The Lord protects us. He prepares this table in the presence of our enemies. The image of the rod is an image of protection. And perhaps most importantly, all of these, his provision, his guidance, his protection, depend upon his presence. The Lord accompanies us. You are with me. You are with me. So these are the various ways that the Lord as our shepherd provides for us. Also, see how deeply personal this psalm is. The psalms may have been sung corporately by the covenant people of God. That's what the book of Psalms was, partly. That's not all it was, but it was partly that. It provided worship, musical worship, for the people of God, for the people of Israel. But we, the people of God... Though we are called a flock, each receive the shepherd's special attention. The Lord cares for each and every sheep. There has been a reaction in the church over the last, oh, I don't know, 20 to 25 years probably, a reaction against the individualism of our culture, which is a legitimate reaction. For a long time, the church has forgotten what it means to be a community. 
At the same time, I'm concerned sometimes that we have oversteered in this reaction against individualism, and we have sacrificed the meaning of psalms like this. Psalm 23 invites every one of us to make its words our own. It invites every one of us to take up these lyrics on our lips with the confidence that the Lord's goodness and the Lord's love are lavished on each one of us. He knows us as his people, but he also knows each and every one of you as his child, as a sheep. David gives us here in Psalm 23 three views of the shepherd's goodness, three views of the shepherd's goodness so that we will trust him, so that we will know experience his care for us. And each of these views of the shepherd's goodness is anchored by a declaration of confidence, of assurance. Verse 1, I shall not want. Verse 4, I will fear no evil. And verse 6, I shall dwell. I shall not want, I shall not fear evil, I shall fear no evil, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So the first view David gives us then in verse 1 is the shepherd's goodness in all of life. Verses 1 through 3, the shepherd's goodness in all of life. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. There is no greater image of goodness and oversight, faithful oversight, than the shepherd. Shepherd was responsible for the welfare of his flock and for each member of that flock to feed them, to water them, to guide them, to protect them, to make sure that they got from one destination back to the sheepfold. And there is no better image of need than a sheep. Sheep are notoriously needy animals. That is no accident that the Lord, the scriptures, compare us to sheep. It is not so much that sheep were dumb, that sometimes is sheep are dumb. They, that may be the case, but... But the focus of the scriptures is really the need, the neediness of sheep. Every sheep needs a shepherd because sheep cannot find their own food. Sheep cannot protect themselves against danger. To declare that the Lord is my shepherd is to relish a relationship. It's to relish a relationship. A relationship between the provider and the needy. To say the Lord is my shepherd is not ownership of the shepherd, it is belonging to him. When we say the Lord is my shepherd, each of us is saying, I belong to the Lord. I belong to him. 
And the result is, I shall not want. I shall not lack anything. The Lord is my shepherd, and so I lack nothing. There is nothing that I need that he does not provide. And these images that follow them portray what the Lord's care looks like. There is, first of all, provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. These are grassy meadows where food is abundant. Not only abundant, but good. These would have been more easily found in some seasons than others in the Near East. In the fall, the autumn, and the spring, they would have been more abundant, these kinds of places, when the rains came. But the shepherd knew where to find these grassy meadows, these green pastures, even when they were out of season. He would have to take the sheep further, but he knew where to go. He makes me lie down in green pastures. This is a picture of of rest, great abundant provision. The sheep eat, they lie down. He leads me beside still waters. This is a picture of peace, tranquility. Still waters, though, were not only a place to drink and to be refreshed, A sheep, after all, could drink out of a brook, a creek. But still waters were a place for injuries to be cleaned and bandaged. It was a place where the sheep could lie down, the shepherd could use the still waters, use salve and ointment, a place of safety, and bandage wounds, help injuries heal. Still waters were a haven from chaos. Anybody need a haven from chaos? They were a haven from chaos where a sheep could be made whole, where a sheep could be restored mid-journey. This restoration is highlighted in the next line. He restores my soul. David here is not talking about the immaterial soul, that part of us. David is talking about our whole being, our whole self. He restores all of me, my whole being. The Lord's provision for us is abundant as he sustains, as he renews us, and as he restores us from weariness, from discouragement, and from injury. The Lord cares for us. Now, for a sheep, this is food. This is water. This is quiet rest. This is the bandaging of wounds and using ointment. For a person, it is the Lord's presence. It is his promises and assurance that produce joy and contentment. He is enough. Sometimes this for us also comes in tangible relief, doesn't it? Might be financial provision. Might come in the, 
in the form of relationships with people. It might be an encouraging word from someone. There might be emotional healing. There might be physical restoration. It might be the solution to a dilemma. But David is using these images of the green pastures and the still waters to represent intangible provision also. Like the renewal of our faith. The forgiveness of sin. The cleansing of that sin. The renewed power to overcome temptation. These are included. It is why the picture is so general. So the Lord provides these things for us perfectly. Secondly, there is also guidance here, verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, the paths were leading to the green pastures, they were leading to the still waters. But we are guided in these paths. Paths of righteousness, literally right paths or straight paths. Righteousness here is not so much morally righteous paths versus immoral pathways, but proper paths, straight paths, safe paths. The shepherd knew where to take the sheep. He knew the best, most direct route to the most beneficial destination, the green pastures and the still waters. He knew where to go. He knew where to take them. Listen, the Lord, your shepherd, never takes a dubious shortcut with your life. He never risks your well-being for a hunch. He never ever becomes disoriented. He never ever loses his way. He is never deceived by a false path that promises something that it cannot deliver for his sheep. He never misleads you. Never. And maybe most importantly, the Lord your shepherd never sacrifices your good for his gain. He never sacrifices your good or my good for his glory. How is that possible? Because it seems like, doesn't it? I operate with this mentality sometimes. My good, what's good for me, I'm going to suffer I'm going to go through a hard thing so that God gets glory. Think like that. But you see, the Lord, your shepherd, never sacrifices your good for his gain of glory. And the reason I say that is here in verse 3, because he leads me in right paths for his name's sake. So watch. If the glory of his name is dependent on getting each of his sheep 
safely to their destination than to neglect your needs, to lose you to a predator, or to leave you behind injured in a ditch, is to sacrifice his own reputation. It is to sacrifice his own glory if he were to abandon you, if he were to not look out for your good. You see, his glory is bound to your welfare. And so your good is sealed by the Lord's commitment to his own name. That's the confidence you can have in the goodness of the shepherd. Now, you may be thinking, I don't know about that. My life doesn't seem much like green pastures and still waters and straight paths right now. In fact, a lot of my life hasn't looked that way. But this is what the next part of the psalm explains. David knows, the Holy Spirit knew, where we would go when we hear verses 1 through 3. So the shepherd's goodness, David shows us the, good, the shepherd's goodness in all of life. But he also then shows us the shepherd's goodness in danger. The shepherd's goodness in dangerous places. Now, two things signal a shift here in the psalm's perspective between verse 3 and verse 4. First of all, you will notice that the writer changes from saying he to you. He makes me lie down. He leads me. He leads me. He restores my soul. Changes to you are with me. Your rod, your staff, you prepare a table. So there is this perspective now and not just declaring the Lord is my shepherd, he, he. But now the attention is turned to the shepherd in this declaration of confidence. You are with me. Secondly, danger is introduced into the sheep's journey. Verses 1 through 3 don't speak to danger. They speak very generally to provision, to guidance, but don't get into protection from danger. I believe David wants to focus on this because he knows the question is, I don't know, my path doesn't feel real straight. It feels pretty crooked. Danger is introduced, which is why I think David begins to speak to the Lord. The scene intensifies. So verses 1 through 3 describe the Lord's general comprehensive care for each of his sheep. All verses 4 and 5 specifically express confidence in the shepherd's presence and guidance when there is trouble, when there is danger. 
He knows every grassy meadow. He knows every still pool of water. He knows every track through the wilderness. He leads you in right paths, but what about when he leads you down a path that is dark and treacherous? Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. A few of you probably grew up with the old King James Version. Yay! Yay, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. There's something in English a little more powerful about the yay, isn't there? Yay, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. David, when he talks about a valley here, what he has in mind is not a valley between two mountains like you and I would typically think of when we hear the word valley. David is thinking of a feature of the land in Palestine that we today call a wadi. A wadi is a seasonal riverbed that has cut a deep ravine in the ground and in doing so has cut, left behind, a rocky, craggy canyon. While on a study trip in Israel some years ago, I and some friends hiked from the city of Jerusalem down to the city of Jericho through 15 miles of one of these wadis. Much of it was climbing over boulders, navigating crevices, At points, the terrain was so treacherous that we would have to walk inside ancient Roman aqueducts that had been there for centuries and actually still carried water. And we would use these aqueducts as bridges to actually traverse parts of the wadi. Now, in my late 20s, that was an adventure. It was one of my highlights from the trip. But I can't imagine trying to navigate a flock of sheep through that treacherous wadi. Of course, I can't imagine trying to navigate a flock of sheep through a field over here, right? But the idea of leading a flock of sheep or goats, any kind of animals, trying to keep track of them, trying to protect them, in that kind of a terrain... Is, is an overwhelming thought. This is the kind of place David has in mind. It was a place where a sheep could break a leg, a place where a sheep could lose his footing, fall down into a, a crevice, and never be seen again, be completely lost if the shepherd was not vigilant. It was a place where a sheep could be attacked by a well-hidden, waiting predator lurking in the crags. It is these things that are the shadow of death. They are dangers. They are threats to life and well-being. The shadow of death is not dying. It is the threat of being killed. It is the threat of being lost. It is the threat of being separated from the shepherd And never again found. That is the shadow of death. 
And the imagery probably captures the fact that these wadis, because they were so deep, sometimes 100 feet deep, would block out the sun during, even during the day, let alone at dusk or early in the morning. Part of the power of the poetry is the vagueness of the image. I think David intends us to fill in the, the shadow of death with the threats and the dangers that each of us experience. And they're, they are various, aren't they? Some of them are not as threatening as others. And yet, all of us will go through these dark and treacherous paths. What has happened here, and I think this is so important, what has happened here is not that the sheep has wandered off from the flock and gotten lost in some treacherous ravine. No, this is a portrayal of the shepherd who has led the sheep down into this valley of the shadow of death. It is the shepherd who takes you there. The right paths, from verse 3, sometimes are the dangerous paths. Dangerous from our perspective. To whatever destination the shepherd was leading them, he has determined that the best, rightest path is through the valley, through the treacherous wadi. But you see, he knows even the valley of the shadow. And he knows all of the dangers. And he never, ever leaves a sheep. I will fear no evil, no calamity, no evil scheme, no lurking predator. No cliff. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Don't think the dark valley means he has abandoned you. It is the Lord's presence with you. When you go through the valley, that provides for you, that guides you, and protects you. And that's what the next line emphasizes. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The rod was a weapon. And the rod was not used for disciplining the sheep. It was used for clubbing the wild animals who preyed on the sheep. The shepherd carries a rod. The staff, the shepherd's staff or the shepherd's crook was to guide the sheep. It was to keep them on a path. And if there's any discipline coming from the shepherd on a sheep, it's coming from the staff, not the rod. And he would use the staff sometime to tap, tap them back in line. He might use the hook. That's why it had a hook, kind of hook one that's going off the path. Pull them back into the rest of the flock. Every one of us, every one of us sheep should be thankful for and find infinite comfort 
in the Lord's protection, in his rod and in his staff. He knows how to guard you. He knows when to hook you because you've strayed from the path and pull you back in. He knows when to give you a tap to get you back away from the edge of the cliff. He knows. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And verse 5, he mixes the imagery a little bit. He kind of shifts from the imagery of the sheep and out in the, in the, the treacherous wild lands to the image of a banquet hall or banquet table. So that's the scene here in verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I think David transforms the imagery to a feast, a banquet, because the green pastures and the still waters can only go so far in picturing just how abundant the Lord's blessing and provision is. To be a person, to be a human sheep who belongs to the Lord is to know a richness of satisfaction and contentment that transcends anything the sheep in a pasture could really ever know. So this morphing of the imagery is to say that not only does he just take you to green pastures, these grassy meadows, but he prepares a banquet for his sheep. He lays out a spread in this grassy meadow. The table, the oil, which would have been scented with spices and would have been poured on a guest as they entered the home by the host, almost like a party favor. It was a sign of honor, welcome. My cup overflows. The idea here is that the cup is not empty. You know good service and, and not so good service when you go to a restaurant if your glass is always full. And it's boom, you drink half of it and it's full again. You never really get through a full glass because it just keeps getting refilled. That's what David's picturing. He can never empty the, the cup because the Lord just keeps pouring into it. My cup overflows. This picture expands on and it personalizes the richness of the provision in verses 1 through 3. It tells us what grassy meadows, green pastures, and still waters really are. It's a banquet of the, of the Lord's goodness, of his presence. But the image also does the same for the dangers. Whereas the valley of the shadow of death is a very broad, vague image. What David describes here in this scene is more specific, isn't it? Because the Lord has prepared this table in the presence of my enemies. The Lord provides a lavish banquet for his child, not after the threats are removed, but in the midst of them. 
again, it is this picture of a haven. In the midst of the enemies, this abundant banquet is spread before the child of God. The sheep feasts on the Lord's goodness, on the Lord's steadiness, on the Lord's faithfulness, on his ongoing patience and forgiveness when we blow it. The sheep feasts on those things while enemies look on powerless. For sheep, the enemies very clearly would be these wild animals, predators like bears, wolves, lions, which were mountain lions, not you know the main like in Africa, kind of pumas, lions. For David, who had been a shepherd, if you'll remember when David was, was anointed and brought before Samuel, he was like, yeah, when... When bears come, when lions come, when wolves come, I kill them. I protect the sheep. He was a shepherd. He knew what he was talking about. But for David as king, the enemies surrounding his banquet, his feast on God's faithfulness and goodness are foreign kings and rulers and their armies. But not only enemies from outside of the covenant people, but enemies from within, traitors in his own house, intrigue. So the Philistines are enemies, and so was his own son Absalom. These are the enemies for David. What about for you? What about for me? This is not an allegory. But there's a reason that the poetry says what it says. And I believe the Spirit of God intends us to see our enemies might apply to literal enemies at times. Enemies of the gospel. Paul used that phrase to describe people who are trying to quash the gospel, who are trying to murder him, trying to discredit him. But I believe that the, the point of the psalm is for us to look and say these enemies are all kinds of things that would threaten, that are dangers to us. It is in the very midst of them that your shepherd prepares an abundant banquet for you. So verses 1 through 3 then are this comprehensive picture of what it means to know the Lord's care, to know the shepherd's goodness. Verses 4 and 5 then, they focus in, yes, even in the dark and dangerous places of life. You may think you've wandered at times. You may think you've been abandoned. But all the while, it is the shepherd who is leading you, even along those paths that are dark and dangerous because he knows the way. He knows the way. And he is still good. So David gives us a view of the shepherd's goodness in all of life. He gives us a view of the shepherd's goodness in danger. And in the final verse, in the conclusion, David gives us a view beyond the dangerous places. He gives us a view beyond these threats 
to our well-being. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Goodness, mercy. This mercy is the word for, is sometimes translated loving kindness. It is God's faithful covenant love. It's the love that he can never abandon or he would be untrue to himself. That's the mercy here. Goodness and mercy, they will follow me. This, is, this isn't just they'll tag along behind me. This is they'll pursue me. God's good, what a picture. God's goodness, his faithful love for you hunts you down. It pursues you. All the days of my life, that's just how faithful he is. There's not a time limit. There's no expiration date on his goodness and his mercy that will pursue you. It is all the days of your life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord. The house of the Lord is talking about the temple. Why? Why the house of the Lord? Because that's where the Lord dwelt. That's where the Lord's presence is. David is saying, my true home, my haven in chaos my ultimate destination is the very presence of God. To dwell in his house, to know his goodness most directly, firsthand. And this word dwell sometimes, it, it can mean return. And I think what, what it, David is portraying here in this picture of the shepherd and the sheep is that the shepherd will lead us out. He will lead us to this great provision and it will involve dangerous places that he will take us through. But he always brings us back. He always brings us home. And he never loses one of us and David is saying, regardless of how many valleys I go through, how many shadows of death I endure, I will always end up back in the house of the Lord. I will dwell there. That's where I will dwell. This is the greatest comfort, I think, in the psalm. Dangers will pass. He will bring me through them. He will always bring me back. And I will dwell there forever. Literally the length of days, however long days are. It's, it's indefinite, infinite. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Is there any other shepherd like him? Have you forgotten his great care for you? Take up this psalm. 
don't trust in others. Lord, it is times of discouragement and loss and pain that the Psalms become more precious to us. And Lord, enable us by your grace and your presence to take this psalm up on our lips in these days, to trust in your goodness, even when in the shadow of death, things look dark, when things threaten us, where enemies lurk. Lord, you know every track, you know every sheep, and you are perfect in your goodness of guiding and protecting us, providing for us, even in the midst of chaos. You are our haven. So, Lord, be pleased as we sing now, as we come to the Lord's table as we offer praises like sacrifices to you, our good and perfect shepherd. Amen.